It's been said that if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. What's the board of the IBO made up of? The industry organizations. That's who makes the IBO board. So really, the board has been comprised of the representatives of the industry associations, the country association or organization or council or, or guild. But the fact is, we're on the cusp of having, I think, an opportunity for the USHBC to have a much more active role. Today, I sit down with IBO founder and board member, Court Brazelton, to discuss the recent release of the IBO's State of the Industry Report. We also discuss why it's more important than ever for the NABC and USHBC to ensure that we're at the table of influencing and driving global demand strategy. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. In 2003, the NABC developed the first ever State of the Blueberry Industry Report, which was authored then by Dave Brazelton. And then in 2005, Dave's son, Court, took responsibility of authoring the report. And then again, in 2011, the responsibility changed hands and the decision was made to transfer the responsibility of a global report to a newly formed international blueberry organization. And today's guest, Court Brazelton, has continued to lead the efforts in partnership with Colin Fain of Agronometrics. The report exists for the purpose of empowering participants throughout the blueberry industry with improved information. It is detailed, thorough, and extremely insightful, and I encourage everyone in the blueberry industry to grab their own copy. Joining me today to talk about this report, the International Blueberry Organization, and what lies ahead for blueberries is Mr. Court Brazelton. Court kicked off 2021 with joining me on our first episode of last year, which has become one of our most popular, and I'm really glad he agreed to join me to kick off yet another new year. You can get more background about Court, as well as a great conversation about global blueberry trends and market dynamics by listening to that episode, which is number 29. We'll link to that in the show notes. As many of you know, Court grew up in the blueberry industry and is a second generation owner and co-CEO of Fall Creek Farm and Nursery. He also is the founder and current board member of the International Blueberry Organization, otherwise known as the IBO. He's an active leader with the USHBC and ABC, and it is a wonderful opportunity for me to have him with me here today. So, Court, thank you for joining me for a round two interview on the business of blueberries. Thank you, Casey. You and I have talked a lot about the importance of data for our industry and the ability for our industry to be making better informed, data-driven decisions. And I just thought it would be important to kick off the new year, you know, to start by talking about the importance of getting better data out to our industry and this project in particular by the IBO. Sure. So first of all, I'd add one thing on the report. The report is now free. This report started as a benefit of membership and then would also be for sale at higher prices to those who were not members of the organization. But eventually it leaks out and goes these different directions we still have a lot of benefits for members. There's a massive library 
There's also an interactive tool that gets more frequently updated tied to this data in this report. So if you are an IBO member, you actually have enhanced data access beyond the scope of this report itself. That being said, not making this widely available and free to the industry, we felt as a board actually in many regards worked against the very purpose of what our organization was trying to accomplish in service of the advancement, the sustainable development and growth of our industry, the wherewithal, because we are first and foremost a grower-oriented organization. We serve growers. And if good data, going to your question, is one of those critical things that the global industry needs, local industries needs, everyone in this business or, or serving this industry needs to be able to make informed decisions, we needed to make that available. And so we made a jump and we decided to open it up to advertising. I think at this point, I'm there to be an editor. I do have a background in liberal arts and as a writer. And then, of course, can help try to sculpt that narrative to make sure it actually reflects the reality because you can get so many different data points or just looking at the data alone often doesn't tell you the whole story as well. Sometimes knowing what's actually happening or what had happened or has happened is also important. Absolutely. Well, you know, this has been a career commitment on your part and the part of this industry to continue to produce this report. So I just think it's important to kind of take that pause here and say, why is this such an important activity for blueberries? say it's an important activity in any business, especially in an industry that does have uh, very strong local realities and very strong global realities to supply and also the markets themselves. We don't just focus on, on the metrics and the statistical data on the actual supply, where we've been, where we are now and where things are likely to be going. But also we try to capture a lot of the intel and narratives on what's happening in the market dynamics. Where are things going and what are the drivers either for value creation or for demand or what are the speed bumps we've hit? What are the speed bumps we're likely to hit? And that's one of the more fun things about this report. And I think why it's worth looking at. Yes, it has the data, but we also interview dozens and some years, hundreds of people from throughout the industry, growers, handlers, innovators, vendors, retailers, now folks in the e-commerce world, and get their independent perspective, aggregate that and almost um, anyone reads The Economist, sort of a, an editorial, but a more anonymized approach so that everyone's comfortable openly sharing. And, and if it's time to, to name names, we do, um, especially if it's politically appropriate. We can also filter through for people's bias and agenda through that process. But what you get is trends. So a more informed industry is a healthier industry. And I've never seen a business do well making decisions blindly. And so especially if you're in the business of blueberries, which is what this podcast is about, the best thing you can do is get good information. Sometimes it's that little piece of information that you didn't know you needed that changes everything that helps you do a better job, either lead your people, run your business, stay out of trouble, avoid pitfalls, you name it. Ken was here uh, recently in our office, which was an in-person visit, but we actually talked on the podcast episode we did just talking about the importance of getting together in person and to your point about the interconnections of this industry, you know, serving one another in perspective, relativism, an understanding, like you said, things beyond the fence line, so to speak, on how this business works and, and the interrelationships are being so important and how people can make you know, major decisions for their company by getting some of those pearls from attending events or reading you know, some of this important industry information. That's another thing that I think the IBO does a good job of now. We've gotten better of it over time. Every time there's an event, it's hosted by the host country. They organize it, but we have a template at the organization in general, these IBO events create an opportunity to feature, first of all, where the event is happening. So people can come in, you find out what's happening there, what's going on in that industry, and how does it tie into what's going on in the rest of the world. But because it's a truly international event, and it's not focused on one market or one growing region, 
And the objective is to really have an enriched program. And this last one, which was in Peru, which ended up being digital, still, I think, accomplished a lot of this by truly having an international focus on the whole industry, the global fresh industry, the global processed industry. What are the dynamics? What are the trends? You know, mature industries, developing industries, exporters, in-market producing realities, all those things. And at the end of the day, I'll be honest with you, this is all modeled on what the USHBC did and what NABC did before. It's one of the reasons why there was a push at USHBC and NABC when they asked Francisco Allende and me to try to put something together that was more international because there was this feeling, wow, you know, okay, we're trying to do all this international information that has this broader scope, but we still have this responsibility that where we need to be focused first and foremost on this market and, and this industry, as well as those who are paying assessments shipping into the U.S., but we don't have the same scope as what's happening beyond our borders. And so there was a push at the council to say, look, we need this. And one of the reasons the IBO exists is because it was seed funded by the NABC and USHBC. Without support from NABC, USHBC, IBO wouldn't exist. And if the IBO is going to create more value in the future, we need, we, the IBO, and I'm, I guess I'm wearing both hats because I sit in both organizations, we need a strong partnership with the USHBC because no organization in the world is carrying the weight like the US Council. Simple as that. On the health research, on a lot of the things going on in the innovation and research on the supply side, as well as the promotional efforts, it's disproportionate. And one of the goals of the IBO originally was, how do we get the work the USHBC is doing funneled out and distributed out to the rest of the world? How do we make this health research more knowable and more available around the world? How can this industry organization over in this country that doesn't even ship to the US develop their own domestic market as well as the other markets are serving and bring this work that's already done into light in these other parts of the world. Now, today we live in a digital world that's getting easier all the time, but those were one of the original goals. And I think we're finally starting to achieve some of that. Well, and I think this is something we want to spend a little time digging into, and it provides, I think, our audience some great context of the early years of the IBO and its point and purpose. But before we go further, and we plan to do that, the harvest in South America is well underway, and we're receiving weekly updates from our colleagues there. So here, once again, is your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today you'll hear from Andres Armstrong in Chile, Luis Vegas in Peru, and Mario Ramirez in Mexico. This was recorded on January 5th, 2022. This is Andres Armstrong from the Chilean Blueberry Committee reporting on the Chilean crop report up to week 51. This is December 26. Logistics continue to affect the development of the season. Less availability of labor, land transportation and containers together with longer transit times and congestion at destination ports have accompanied the exporters and importers since the start of the southern hemisphere season. 22 million pounds have been exported on week 51. This is 4.2% less than the same week last season, and the accumulated volume in the season until week 51 is 78 million pounds, which is 5.2% less than the previous season. Nevertheless, the comparison to the same date until December 26 is 24.1% less. This difference may go back because the peak period has not ended and volumes are expected to strengthen in week 52 and also during the first three weeks of 2022. The distribution between market destinations continues to show a preference for the Euro European market 
to which 49.6% of the volume was allocated in week 51, the U.S. 37.1% and Asia 10.1%. This is our report for week 51 from Chile. Thank you very much. Hello, this is Luis with the crop report from Peru up until the end of week 52 of 2021. So up until week 52 of the season, Peru has shipped a total of 443 million pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide, representing a growth of 32% in volume versus the previous season. From this overall volume shipped worldwide, 54% has been shipped to the US. During week 52, a total of 5.4 million pounds were shipped. 59% of this volume was shipped to the US. Our latest forecast until the end of the season, well, well we're expecting a growth of 32% once, once the season finishes. Uh, and uh, regarding our, the different destinations, we're expecting to grow in volume by 37%. Uh, in our shipments to the U.S. compared to the, the previous season. Uh, the Peruvian season is uh, coming to an end. We're expecting shipments uh, during February, maybe some during the first weeks of March. So that's the crop report for Peru. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Nice to greet you again. Here, Mario, with the Mexican Blueberries Report for the last two weeks of 2021. For this couple of weeks, we exported a total volume of 3,700,000 pounds to the USA and Canada, and 200,000 pounds went to the rest of the world. We are closing the year with a 6% less volume than the same period for the last season, and for all the season, we have exported around 27,600,000 pounds, and we're expecting to see a significant growth in the volumes for the next weeks and as I told you before from here to uh, April the, the volumes will increase that's all in my report hope to see you next week Well, thanks so much to our busy growers and our colleagues who take the time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data about what's happening in the blueberry industry. We've made a snapshot view of that USDA data on production and price, this online resource for everyone to access easily and quickly. So make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. So Court, you know, I would say before the break, we were talking about just the way in which the IBO's responsibility of kind of contextualizing the experience that the world's having in blueberries and the influence that our organization has had on it. But that influence is kind of working both ways right now. And it's a really interesting time. And I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to just talk a little bit further about the interconnections of these two organizations and giving our audience a little bit better insight on the history of the IBO and then where IBO and USHBC are in alignment and divergent in their responsibilities. But to your point about the organization who has had the resources and the responsibility and has done you know, the work of ensuring that the health message and now a lot of this channel development is being done, we just so happen to have the mechanism at which we've been able to have the resources it takes to you know, move the messages along. There's a broad perception that the IBO is and does many things that it just flat out doesn't get to do because 
we don't have any money. Our only sources of funding is a, now advertising in this publication and these events where there's a little bit of sharing. If there's any money left over at these events and often there's not much. It's a very lightly funded organization. It's voluntary. It's also funded by member dues and it is voluntary, kind of like NABC. There are limits on what we can do. As I look to the future and if I was to express a personal opinion on a vision for this organization, would I like to see the IBO do more around, be it building demand or helping growers actually on the supply side or doing these generic activities? Sure. But I don't think it's IBO's job. I think it's first and foremost, the job of the industry organizations. And so I think the way to turn around, it's not where does IBO lead? It's how can IBO serve and be an effective servant to these aggregations of industry organizations. What's the board of the IBO made up of? The industry organizations. That's who makes the IBO board. So really, it's where, and this is important, I think, to mention for our listeners, especially in the U.S. Historically, the board has been comprised of the representatives of the industry associations, the country association or organization or council or, or guild, gremio in Spanish. There's an elected president who's a grower. And then there's the administrator, what we call the administrator, the president. Historically, the U.S. representation has been by another industry servant, Vern Gingrich, who's a grower, longtime member of NABC, USHBC. And Vern has really been over backwards to represent the U.S. industry and U.S. perspective on the, the board. But I think we're very excited to know that now you'll be in there, hopefully in partnership with Vern. Um, I think there's some discussions. Does Vern continue to carry the torch or, you know, do we have a, another a grower step in? I think that's a, a pending discussion. But the fact is, we're on the cusp of having, I think, an opportunity for the USHBC to have a much more active role within the IBO board by including you. Casey, I think it's time, dude. Yeah. Get on board, well, baby. I, I know I did in this fall have an opportunity to talk with Vern a bit about this and and certainly you and and then Peter and others just about, I think it's related to our new strategic plan. And, and if I could kind of connect a dot to what you see now in the pillars of responsibility, you know, global business development is certainly something that we're focused on in large part due to the stakeholders we represent and the dollars that we can collect from the foreign ag service. But in relationship to what you're saying, and I think the kind of big umbrella approach of driving global demand is this understanding, if not us, then who? And so where there are these tables, like the one that IBO represents, it's the one that our dollars need to be recognized as being in part responsible for growing that global demand. And so I think that you know, just spending some time here connecting that dot with, it is certainly me, but I'm empowered by that new strategic plan to really see something that is, I wouldn't call it a deviation of what our USHBC was responsible for, but I would say an evolution of where we're going. That's part of the transformation we're going through as, as an industry and as an organization. Do I think the IBO could, at the very least, a venue to increase collaboration between industry organizations? You know, for example, all of the major industries, countries in the Americas that have sizable production and, and places in the global markets are represented there. Are there things those industry organizations should be looking at doing together collaboratively? I like the term business development for this because that can mean market development, demand creation, dissemination of you know health research, you name it, whatever it is. But are there opportunities to do that on, a, let's call it a sub-regional level focused on XYZ outcome or market? Absolutely. There are. 
there are opportunities to do that beyond the scope of what, say, just USHBC is doing. You know, I'm not an old man. I'm not a young man. I just got reminded of that by somebody else this morning. Oh, I know it's terrible. We're the same <laughs> age, man. So I do. We're not young. We're not old, but we're something in the middle, buddy. Um, as we look forward like to the next 10 years, the IBO is not here to take away tasks led by existing organizations. It's here to complement them and empower them or augment or support or serve. Could there be a project or two where it's hard to say, if not us, then who? I think that might arise, but it's time to start having those conversations at that board level. And that's why I'm excited for you to attend as well. Because the other thing we don't need to do is overstep. Right now, people are getting more useful information than they used to. And there's data we need that's not out there. I can give some examples, particularly on the process industry side. I think we got some issues in our industry on transparency and accurate information, be it on inventories or movement or sales, that sort of a thing. And I think there's things that could be done that are generic and appropriate. One of the challenges in the process industry is even when we have public cold storage data, that doesn't say if that product is sold or not. It just says it's reported and in inventory. It doesn't report on what's in private inventory. It doesn't include where the private inventories are in the other major producer process today, which is Chile. And so today, we don't know how much is in totes, how much is in 30-pound cases and run, how much is A-grade, how much is B or better term I've always struggled with. Does that mean there's like one berry in there that's B and the rest maybe a little bit better? I don't know. And then other grades or juice grade, or just knowing what's in totes, what's in 30-pound cases, and what's in barrels would be wonderful to know. And then having a sense of how much of the global inventory today, this month or this quarter, is and is not committed. We don't know that globally. And if that became knowable, be it good news or bad news, everyone would be so much more informed to the benefit of everyone in that supply chain. And frankly, if I was a buyer for a consumer packaged goods company, for example, and I was looking for XYZ product, knowing where those inventories were and what was available and what was not available, as much as that might put me in a place at times where, geez, oh, I might have to pay more, I might have to pay less, it would be predictable. I'd be able to plan my business. And I think one of our big opportunities in blueberries, if we're going to increase our share of stomach, and now I'm on a tangent, so I'm going to try to punctuate this. If we're going to increase our share of stomach, we don't just do it through fresh. We get our product into more foods people eat. But to do that, the market, the buying side has to have confidence and availability and consistency and pricing and getting the type of product they want. And growers have to feel safe putting fruit into that channel and packers have to be comfortable doing it. You know, that's the sort of thing that also helps address how fragmented that industry is because it is very fragmented. It's much more fragmented than fresh handling. So I'll stop there. Uh, wait, I don't want you to stop there. I want to I want to intersect some of your thought there. Let's play devil's advocate on this a little bit. If I'm somebody who's listening going, wait a second, that's what I do. I am the one that helps determine that price. And the kind of, I guess, mystery meat of what's out there is what makes me successful, or that's what makes our business successful, or that's what keeps the dynamics of what we, we have in play at play. And, and I guess I'm just wondering, it arguably then for someone who's thinking this way cuts both ways, right? It's, it's one thing to see it, and then it's another thing to know it. And so what's your response to that? What's your response to the person who likes to operate in what I call kind of the mystery meat of the market? When an industry is highly uninformed on a product availability, supply, demand, that is a venue and an arena where the traders, those trading, who benefit from having just a little bit more information, who bring no value to the producer, no value to the market, 
other than just being able to get this guy and get that guy and get everybody gutted, that is not creating value. And if you're not adding value, you're adding cost in any business. That's capitalism. That's how economics work. So when a market in an industry is less informed and has imperfect data or massive ambiguity and vagaries around the data, there's much more room for gamesmanship where strategic advantage is not based on creating value, but based on having leverage over others based on information that should be more widely available. It works to the disservice of those who take the greatest risk, which is the grower. And it's also a, one of the great risks on the market side because it undermines confidence. What it also does is it makes it hard for people to invest in the future. We have some capacity issues. We also, I would add, you say that individual says, no, that's my job. To my knowledge, in the high bush industry and frozen, there's no one handler that carries more than 5% of global supply. At a time when handling is so fragmented, there is no price setter. There is no one who controls that narrative. And so as much as anyone may think, well, you know, I've got my data, I'm going to set my price. No one gets to have that level of control considering how fragmented the producing and how fragmented the handling is, especially the first handling level in the process market really is. And so I think it's, it's important to recognize that by the time, I'm going to go back to what I said before on the IBO hat, a more informed industry is a more orderly industry. There's less room for gamesmanship and we all get to focus on creating value rather than looking for leverage based on what I know and the other guy doesn't. If these are good faith relationships and everyone's doing their very best to do right by each other, that becomes immediately transparent and visible and it builds trust. And there's nothing better as a human being or being in business than working in an environment characterized by high trust. Good data builds trust and confidence. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more. You know, I want to take a quick break, coincidentally or ironically, for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. With the start of a new year comes the start of new goals to guide the framework of our plans and successes. As program plans enter the development phase, our eyes are on the strategies and tactics necessary for effective program implementation. I recently came across a quote that resonated. Strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. What does that mean? Both strategy and tactics play a key role in an effective program, and one should not exist without the other. A strategy without tactics won't achieve your vision, and tactics without strategy won't propel you in the right direction. So think of it as strategy, as long-term vision, the overarching plan and the path you need to take to achieve it. Tactics are short-term actions, the specific concrete steps you are going to take along the way. They go hand in hand. Keeping this all in mind all along the way as you implement your marketing programs throughout the year will keep you on track for success. The rule of thumb to remember for everything you do, think strategically, act tactically. USHBC is here to help. We'll be sharing our plans for our nationwide campaigns for all of our major power periods in 2022 that you can access to complement your plans or collaborate more directly using the many tools and resources we will make available to you. Collectively, we can do great things to make blueberries the world's favorite fruit. Happy planning, developing, producing, and implementing. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Casey, back to you. 
Thanks, Jenny. Now back to today's episode with Court Brazelton. So Court, I know you and I could spend a couple of podcast episodes. In fact, you know, maybe there should be a series here where we dig in on some of these things that we probably won't be able to get to in just one podcast. But as we kick off this new year, I do want to take an opportunity in this episode for you to maybe look back on 2021 and just what stands out to you about the last year. Is there anything that surprised you, stood out, you know, that you would recognize has been significant for the blueberry industry? We've shown to be a very resilient product. Blueberries have done remarkably well compared to many other fruit and vegetable commodities globally. And we are very fortunate to be in that seat. We have a wonderful product. People want our product or want to want it. And good news, it's healthy, guys. We've got great dynamics in our business. And I think it's shown through the pandemic. We have also had a heck of a time in every business, everywhere around the world to operate in this environment. Good friend of mine said at the outset of the pandemic, you know, there's going to be multiple waves. And I'm not just talking about waves of pandemic. There's going to be waves. This is going to be a bumpy time. And those who learn to swim in the waves will be more successful. And so I think there's a lot of folks who have learned new ways to be resilient, new ways to be creative in every business, but that includes blueberries. And I think as we look to the future and recognize that wherever things go in the pandemic, whatever speed or whatever pace at which things get back to whatever our new normal is going to be, I'm really tired of that term. The reality is, I think we can look forward with confidence in our category. I think we can look forward with confidence to a lot of the potential market growth. And I think we need to look with concern at some of the things that are also not working as well and starting to become apparent. And that's not 2021. This is in the last few years. It's become apparent that there is a place for better quality fruit. And there are going to be more struggles for fruit that doesn't, at the very least, meet basic expectations for consumers. And we've talked about this a lot. I don't need to beat this dead horse. But I think we have an opportunity as an industry to improve our quality. We have some serious challenges structurally. We have labor issues. We have water availability and water quality issues. We have lots of challenges. We have market access issues in some places. We need to get more organized at a national level in many producing places. We need to get more organized locally. We need to pay attention to what's happening around us. We want to be more informed. We got to stay focused on what the consumer wants. I think we've learned a lot about the confidence we can have in our product. Now let's figure out how to build that confidence for our domestic consumers in the US, for consumers around the world, and how to get that product to them. What got us here won't get us there. I think we've got a bright future in blueberries. I think we're going to hit some speed bumps on the way. I mean, I know we have in, in our business, certainly in the last year or two, but we've also had a period of time to reflect. I feel like things are about to pick up. And by things, I mean everything again. You know, let's keep an eye on things like inflation and some of those traditional business and economic issues we got to watch. But I'm feeling pretty positive about the future. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of work ahead and there isn't some hardship ahead as well. As compelling as the macro dynamics are, got to stay eye on the ball. Don't forget who our customer is, and that's the consumer. So let me just ask then, as you look at 2022 as a differentiator from this past year and, and things that, you know, you'd like to see the industry succeed in or be focused on, is there one thing in 2022, like, let's do this well, let's tackle this? We have some exciting stuff going on on the health research side. I think it would be very cool for any grower listening, anyone to look at this, take a look at your business. Take a look at your product. Be honest with yourself about what's working and what's not, or what may work today, but may not in the future, make a plan. 2022 is a great year to make a plan for the future, not for one year, for multiple years ahead, and start looking at where you are today and where you want to be. 
in a few years. I think we've gotten used to whatever we've been dealing with in the last two years, however long that goes on or doesn't. Fact is, we got a whole new world on the other side of this thing. And it's a great time to start planning for the future. And if you're doing it, keep doing it. If you haven't started, get going. Get going. Well, this has been great and an inspirational conversation really for you know folks that are thinking about this new year, 2022, you know, the road that's still ahead for blueberries. And Cord, as always, I, I appreciate the time to sit down and kind of just unpack not just what you're doing organizationally with within the industry and organizations like ours, IBO, and you know, the commitment you've made over many, many years to help level us up uh, on the data side, certainly. But I, I understand, you know, your passion for the health message and how we go to market and the global business development. We're all dependent on that. And I think, you know, for today, it's just great to have a conversation about the future forward. So I appreciate your time and, you know, the work you're doing on all of our behalf. So thank you, Court. And thank you for your leadership in our organization. It's just amazing to see how things have advanced since you've arrived in this short period of time. Congratulations. Well, we're having fun. And uh, I think I've stolen this. I may be admitting it publicly here on the podcast that I like to end my team meetings or phone calls or conference calls that we have with Go Blueberries. I think I might have taken that from you. You did. That's okay. It's not ours. It's just something we say and you should say it too. Uh, I appreciate you, Court. Go Blueberries. Go Blueberries, buddy. And happy holidays and happy new year to everyone when they hear this thing. All right. Well, thank you, Court. That's it for episode 80. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. 